Good morning, Eastside family. Let's take our, our Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 6, and we're going to let our children, ages 3 through 3rd grade, go to junior worship. There's some folks here that maybe are here for the first time, and you're not sure where that is. You just kind of follow the parents that are headed in that direction. We'd love for your children to be a part of that during the sermon time this morning. So next Sunday is Easter Sunday. We really want to encourage you, obviously, to, to come on that Sunday. We want to encourage you to come every Sunday. But what I really want you to think about this, there's a lot of people that don't go to church ever that maybe if they're going to, it's going to be on Easter Sunday. So I want to really encourage you to think about who could, whom could you invite. And when you have these cards that were given out, I think we still have some more that are available. Be sure and get one of these cards and be praying about it and looking for somebody this week that you can bring with you this Sunday as we celebrate the Easter service. It's a tremendous message, life-changing message. We have a great um, plans for it. As a matter of fact, you see our tradition of our two crosses that are behind me here. We're going to roll those out and we're going to cover those. We're going to have a special flower, flower, the cross celebration part of our service. And the only way that works is if you bring your flowers. So be sure and bring your flowers, uh, your individual flowers next week. And during the service, we'll have a time when we come up and, and we take the old barrenness of the cross and we celebrate it when putting flowers up there of new life for the resurrection. Now here's the odd part about next Easter Sunday. If there's ever a Sunday where the preacher should be here, it should be on Easter Sunday, and I'm not going to be here this coming Sunday. And I guess if there were two things that would keep a preacher from being here on Easter Sunday, it would be one of them would be death, and so, so far that one's ruled out. So there's only one other thing that could keep me from being here this Sunday, and it's probably going to be this. That is Charlotte, and she was born three days ago. It's my second grandchild, my first granddaughter. She was born, I don't think that was made, I think she was born with that mohawk, actually. The little stinker was supposed to be born Tuesday. We're hopping on a plane tomorrow to go there to be in time for Charlotte's birth, and so she decided three days ago to show up. So we're going to be gone on Easter while you're here celebrating with their flowers and the story of the resurrection. Karen and I are going to be holding her. Now, speaking of Easter, let me ask you this question. Are you ready for Christmas? There are, actually that was, that's a recording, that's not the live take of it on, on the online. So it's actually, there are 254 more days before Christmas. Are you ready? You might be thinking, Eddie, good grief, it's Easter. Why are we talking about Christmas? I promise you, you turn around and turn on the radio, and what are you going to be hearing next thing you know? You're going to be hearing Christmas songs. You walk into Walmart, and what happens? And all the Christmas decorations are up, and you're sitting there going, it's too early for that. But that's just what happens. It's going to be here before you know it. Have you started shopping yet? Or are you the type that I've actually started shopping? I have a special thing I'm putting together for my kids right now. Or... um. Maybe you're the type who kind of waits until the last minute to shop in December. Or maybe you're one of those people who shops on Black Friday at Thanksgiving. Here's an odd thing about Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving, when we are thanking God for all that we have, it's the one day in the year that we spend more money than any other time going out and getting what we don't yet have. Last year on Black Friday, over 165 million of us 
went shopping either online or to the stores. Nearly one quarter of Black Friday shoppers, listen, you maybe it was some of us, were at the stores by midnight. And those of you that weren't at the stores by midnight were there camping out the night before. So what have the stores done? And all this is the name of saving money, right? What have the stores done? Well, they just open up. They don't close on Thanksgiving Day. All for the sake of us saving even more money. It's estimated that we will spend $12 billion on Black Friday alone, over $50 billion on Black Friday weekend. Last year, think about this, looking at Christmas as a whole, last year in celebrating the birth of the one who became poor for our sakes, the United States retail industry generated more than $3 trillion during the holidays. We spent $980 million on 24 million Christmas trees. Worldwide, more than $2.5 billion was spent on wrapping paper alone. It's estimated that this year Americans will spend $525 billion over the holidays for Christmas purchases, and many of those are going to be made by credit cards. One article that I read said that when we're using our credit cards, we usually spend about 112% more than if paying by cash. Therefore, what that means, many Americans, when it enters into the new year, are going to enter into the new year with debt. It's interesting, in one article that I read, one-third of bankruptcies filed in March cite overspending at Christmas as one of the causes. But that's not just Christmas alone. We'd be silly to think, well, isn't that crazy what we do at Christmas? It's really, isn't it crazy? Because what's happening at Christmas is representative of what's happening in our nation and our families overall. There's a spending frenzy that's crippling our nation. And it's crippling our families. You talk about credit cards alone and say, no, Eddie, please don't talk about that. But you talk about credit cards alone. The average number of credit cards per consumer is three. And that doesn't include the two and a half retail store credit cards that everyone also has. The average credit card balance is $6,348 for individual credit card debt. It's $11,000 for a household credit card debt. That's not including the debt that we have with credit cards with retail stores which is another 2,000. 43.8% of credit card accounts are not paid in full each month. Now follow this. That adds up to $682 billion in credit card debt that is not paid in full each month. Listen to this. That puts Americans on track to pay over $122 billion this year on interest alone. That's crazy. And we've got all this stuff in the news about the crisis at the border. There is a crisis within our border that is huge. And I'm just wondering, all those folks that are in line wanting to get into the United States, do they realize what they're getting into here? Do they really want to become the average American living the American dream, which is for too many a nightmare? So the question is, Those are some horrible numbers that I'm sharing with you this morning. What's the solution? Thankfully, there is a solution. It's found in God's Word. And perhaps there's no other book in the Bible that speaks to this more practically and directly than the book of Proverbs. And so we're following a series of lessons 
over a few weeks out of the book of Proverbs, looking at, looking at what we have entitled lifestyles of the rich and the poor, the, thing, the, the phrase rich and poor that's mentioned multiple times in the book of Proverbs, and it's teaching us about money and financial management and how that relates to our relationship with God. We looked already over the past couple of lessons at four keys to financial stewardship. So I want to do what I want to do now, four keys to wise financial stewardship. I want to take that, that um, coin and I want to flip it and look at four keys to unwise financial stewardship. We're going to look at the first coup to two today, and then we're going to look at the other two in two more lessons, which will follow. So let's pick up now in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. My son... If you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have struck hands and pledged for another, if you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into the hands of, into your neighbor's hands. Go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Verse 5, free yourself. Like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. What's the first key to unwise financial stewardship? Number one, it's spend more money than you have by borrowing. Spend more money than you have by borrowing. When I say that, it's like, that is silly. Who does that? That is the prevailing MO of, the, of our nation in the average American. Now let me share with you how I get that out of this passage that I just read. While, I, while this passage is speaking directly to the one who loans or what we might call cosigns, I want to look at this from the perspective of the one who also borrows. Once you notice he's, that he speaks of putting up security for someone, he speaks of um, the, the idea of guaranteeing a loan for someone. And what that means is if someone that you know, maybe it's a friend or a neighbor or a family member, they go out and they get a loan, then you co-sign for it. So if they can't pay the loan, then, then you'll go ahead and pay it for them. Here's an interesting thing in Proverbs. He has a lot to say about that. And never is it positive. It's definitely warned against. Chapter 11 and verse 15. He who puts up security for another will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to strike hands and pledge is safe. Chapter 17 and verse 18, a man lacking in judgment strikes hands and pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. Now, now at first glance, you might say, well, that doesn't make sense. When I'm trying to help someone by co-signing a loan, all I'm doing is, is helping someone who's in a tough spot, helping them in need. There's no doubt in Scripture, it's clear from Genesis to Revelation, that we're to be generous and sacrificial in helping people in need. But evidently, it tells us in Scripture, assisting someone into entering into a loan with interest or being one of those people who's entered into such a loan, that's not the advised and wise way. It's a sure financial key to unwise financial stewardship. It's a key to poverty. That's what Scripture teaches us. And here's the crazy thing about it in this passage. He says, a person who does this, you need to get out of it. And it, what's, what's crazy about it is all throughout Scripture, you'll really notice this in the Old Testament. Jesus builds on it in the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever you make a pledge, whenever you make a vow, God says, you keep your word. Don't you get out of that. You stick with that. But it's really interesting here. He says, you do everything you can to get out of this pledge that you have made. Run from it. Free yourself like a gazelle. It is a trap. 
And then the verse I want to give you in chapter 22 and verse 7. A lot of us know this and it's pretty popular in Proverbs. The borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. So this verse is, is going a little bit beyond. It's not just saying, hey, it's a mistake to get, be co-signing, get involved in all this interest. This verse is saying something about borrowing and loaning, but it's not saying it in positive light. It's not encouraging it. Well, that's a problem. I'm not going to ask you to, but if I said, how many of you are involved in borrowing, loaning? How many of you are in debt right now? The majority of us would probably raise our hands, and so we're sitting there going, well, what do you do about that? Most of us or many of us still have mortgages. Is that wrong? Is it wrong to loan? Is it wrong to borrow? This verse is not speaking about it in a positive way. This is like, this is not like something that some of us do. It's, it's like the American way. It's in, our, it's in our blood. It's like, what did we say? Hot dogs, apple pie, Chevrolet, and credit cards. That's, that's what represents the American. Hot dogs, apple pie, Chevrolet, and, and incredible debt. Are we wrong for this? Biblically speaking, it's not a sin to lend or borrow. You look at some other passage, I was noticing one specifically in, in, in the book of, of Deuteronomy as I was preparing for this lesson. The Bible makes it clear that it's okay to loan or to borrow to help someone in need, but it becomes an extremely big problem. The Bible is very clear not to do this if there's going to be charging loaning to with interest. That's the big no-no involving interest in a loan or borrowing, other than it's interesting with a business transaction with those who are foreign nations. Jesus, Jesus then takes us a step further in Luke chapter 6, and he says this, if you lend, so he's not saying it's wrong to, but he says if you do, now listen to what he says, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. So this is not just about your friends or your neighbors whom you're helping out with a loan. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful. Perhaps that's what we should live by. How can I in this moment, this individual, be merciful? Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And so it's not wrong in all cases to borrow and loan. But this passage in Proverbs chapter 6 is saying, if you're in that, get out of that. And so how is it wrong? When does it become unwise? Well, the neat thing about the Bible, the Bible answers itself. We just need to keep reading. That leads us to our second key to unwise finding financial stewardship. The first one is spend more than you have by borrowing. The second one is in verses 6 and 7. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. What's the second key? The first key is spend more than you have by borrowing. The second key is the second key to unwise financial stewardship and just spend all you have. And he brings our attention to the, to the ant and he says, look at the ant, you sluggard. And what do you mean, what's a sluggard? That's our way basically of saying, look at the ant, you lazy bum. Oh, that's not nice, Eddie. Okay, look at the ant, you sluggard. 14 times in the book of Proverbs, 
we find the word sluggard. That's a lazy person. Fourteen times God has something he clearly wants us to understand about laziness. So much of a dominant theme in Proverbs about this theme of finance and money management. We're going to devote one whole lesson to it on laziness in, in a couple of weeks. Regarding the ant, he says, now the ant, he has no overseer, he has no boss, but something in that ant is instinctively telling it. And you wonder where did he get that instinct? Hey, don't eat all that. You need to take some of that and you need to store it away. You need to set it aside. Don't spend all you have. You need to store some away. You're going to want it or need it later. And this is repeated again in Proverbs chapter 30. I think we shared this four or five weeks ago. Chapter 24 and verse 30. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. What's this point? Ants don't even have the brains a size of a pea. But they get this. They understand the need to store up food. They understand not to take all that you've got and spend it. You need to set some aside. And using the words little and small in reference to ants, the point is clear. If ants can figure this out, <laughs> can't we? Don't spend all you have. All right, so go back to Proverbs chapter 6. When I take these two points together and I look at this as a whole, I put together this passage in Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8, encouraging us to be like the ant and store some away, not spend all you have. And I combine, combine it with this previous passage on warning against borrowing and loaning. Here is, here is what I conclude with. So if you're saying, where is he going? What's he trying to say? Perhaps it would be this. If you're not in the habit of working and saving, but you're the type who spends all you have and more than you have, and you're lazy, the last thing you need to be doing is borrowing, and the last thing you need is others to help you borrow. It will only make your life situation worse, not better. It's the key to poverty, to unwise financial stewardship. Now, let me build on that in other words. So instead of impulsively buying what you can't afford now through borrowing and paying it off with interest for years, digging yourself deeper and deeper into a hole, be content. We talked about that, didn't we? That's only found in Jesus. Be content with what you have. And like the ant, save and store up for what you will need and want in the future. And what's so amazing about that is you're sitting there going, well, well, well duh. This is so common sense. But it's so counterculture to the American way. We're bombarded with the opposite of what God's word is telling us. You graduate from high school and you're going to get hit up with credit card offers and you haven't even entered college. I remember at LSU, you'd go to the LSU football games and all these big tables are sitting out there from credit card companies and they're offering free t-shirts. If you just sign up for a credit card application, you're going, free t-shirt, yeah, I'm in. And you fill out the application, it's not free. You will end up spending thousands of dollars in interest through that credit card. That t-shirt is not free. Have you heard the advertisements? You have bad credit? No problem with us. We'll loan it to you. We'll make your credit worse. Those are the advertisements. You ever heard this one before? It's advertised all the time. First year interest free. It's a trap for most people. 
Some of us remember in the history of our nation what, what was called subprime mortgages, making it possible for people who couldn't afford it, who had bad credit, to buy houses they couldn't afford. It was disaster for our nation and for multiple Multiple families. Listen, when borrowing and loaning leads to spending more than we have, more than we're taking in, it's setting us up for a disaster. It's creating a people whom the Bible says are enslaved to debt. The borrower is servant to the lender. I heard a commercial the other day, and I was so taken by it. I thought, quick, i got to write this down. It's one of the most popular jewelry stores, and you probably heard their commercial before. And basically it was talking about these incredible, gorgeous diamonds and what Karen wouldn't love for me to get her some incredible, beautiful, gorgeous diamonds. And it says, if you want the best and the finest jewelry, and if you want it now, we can help with four-year Financing. I'm thinking, what kind of jewelry must that be? you got to spend four years paying that off. What are they telling us? You want it? You don't have it, you want it now, we can help. Spend more than you have by borrowing. That's the key to unwise financial stewardship. I got this in the mail today, or not today, (laughs) this week. I am pre-approved for a $150,000 loan. Pre-approved. This this letter right here, it says that most banks take nine weeks to get pre-approved and to get your funds. This bank right here will approve me in five minutes. And within five days, I got $150,000. And it says right here, Dear James, it's, that's my full name, James. What? Dear James, they know me well, right? It's time to start that home. As a matter of fact, they even have the outstanding balance on my mortgage. Where did they get that? Dear James, it's time to start that home renovation you've been dreaming of. We've been dreaming of it. It says we make it easy to get the cash you need. It doesn't say the cash you want. This is what I need. P.S. We're here to help. Isn't that awesome? They're here to help. Karen and I have been dreaming about, about granite countertops and the backsplash in our kitchen. We've been dreaming about a walk-in shower with beautiful tile, with those fancy, fancy like rainmakers that you have. And dreaming about, we can see the mountains from our back porch. We want to build this bigger deck. Now our dreams can, we, can become true. We don't have the money for it, but I can get it in five days because these people are going to help me spend what I don't have by borrowing. So I'll go deeper in debt. That's a key to unwise financial stewardship. I got this in the mail today. This is fantastic. I got a worship order. This is like a, my Bible, like a file cabinet, right? I got this right here is fantastic. I got three checks in the mail this week. All three of them have my name on them, and they got the amount of money. All I got to do is go to this company and cash them, and I got tons of money. All I have to do is borrow four times the amount that they're wanting to give me so I can buy a car that I can't afford. But my name's there with the amount of money they want to give me. They're trying to help me. There's not a, there's not a month that goes by. There's not a month that goes by that Ent Bank doesn't send me a letter saying $40,000 is yours when you want it to buy whatever car that you want. I can't afford that car. I'll end up paying $60,000 for that car after a seven-year note. What are they telling me? Spend more than you have by borrowing and spend all that you have. Do you ever get those, 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 those notices in the mail? This is your final notice. 
I get so sick and tired of getting those final notices. They never are final. This is your final notice for this credit card offer. You ever get the phone calls? This is your final call for this. Like, I keep getting that final call. When will it ever be final? And the idea is if I don't act right now and do what they're saying, I'm going to lose this great deal. It's an insult to our intelligence. It's a trap. And here's what's crazy. We walk, too many of us are walking right into that trap. Why? It gets back to lesson number one. We lack contentment because we are like a leech. Remember that's in Proverbs 26. We can't get enough. We want more. We want bigger and we want better and we want it now. And though we can't afford it, banks and credit card companies are making it possible there are young couples leaving college and entering into the world, buying what my dad, he's been in real estate for many years. He says they're, they're, buying char, they're buying starter mansions with lavish furniture and lavish cars, things that people who couldn't afford to buy them, except they've been working for many years, and they could achieve that later. Now you can have it all right now through borrowing and loaning. It's the American way. And on the surface, what an image. Karen could walk in with that diamond that I bought for her. Eddie must love her. You come over and you see our granite countertops and our backsplash, and you sit on the back porch with our nice new deck that we just borrowed money for. What an image. But beneath the surface, we're becoming slaves to debt. The borrower is servant to the lender. Church, this may be the American way. This is not God's kingdom way of living. Why are you spending so much time talking about this? Because there's something deeper that this is revealing about the spiritual health of so many of us as a people. It's showing us that we're trying to fill our lives with that which only God can fill. That we're trying to display a self-glorifying, materialistic image of ourselves rather than seeking to display the image of God's glory in our lives. It shows something deeper that we're replacing God as our first love with a love for things and money. It's showing that we really don't trust God as our banknotes indicate that we do. It's showing us that the central focus of our lives is storing up treasures on this earth, not treasures in heaven, and is showing us that money and things have become our master whom we serve instead of God as our master. And Jesus says, it doesn't work. You can't serve two masters. The average American way is nothing short of sinful idolatry to which God says, to those who so choose to be his people. Exodus 20, I, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below or the earth beneath and the waters below. There's a national crisis maybe at our borders, but indeed within them. In our nation, oh, that's clear. Within our families, in our individual lives, but listen, it's a spiritual crisis indicating 
an incredible need for repentance and change. Change in our nation, change in our families, change in our individual lives. And so the real question is, what about you? What about your family? What are the changes that need to occur? Let's ask God in prayer to help us answer that. Would you stand with me? Father, the truth is those passages step on a lot of our toes. It's very convicting. We want to thank you, in spite of that, for these powerful and practical words of wisdom from your word. And Father, as it, as it so often almost always happens as we turn to Scripture and read from your word, we discover how we too often fall short of your will for our lives. And so we thank you for your incredible grace and your mercy. And we ask you to forgive us for any ways in which we have fallen into this culture around us of idolatry. Father, in this quiet time of prayer, I ask you to do what I can't do. I ask you to do it by your Spirit. Speak to us as individuals. And show us the changes in our own lives that need to be made. That you and you alone may be our God. And that we may live to display your image in our lives and not to display an impressive image of ourselves. Oh, Lord God, that you may be our first love, that you may be our heart's treasure, and that we might find contentment in you alone. Oh, Father, speak to us in this quiet moment. Praise team is going to continue our time of prayer and song, and I'm going to um, ask our shepherds to be available. There's a lot of us here with some pretty heavy burdens on our hearts. I want to ask you to, to go to them and pray with them. There are more people with needs in this church family than there are shepherds, and so this is a wonderful time to go hug someone and pray with someone. And um, Ted, since you and Jackie are right there, I think it would be so appropriate to pay for, pray for Gary and Lisa as they... Um, just Friday, Barry had a memorial service for his father. Let's, let's go before God in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m., as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.